We're going to be in Acts 16 this morning. I'm looking forward to it. We're getting through Acts. It's exciting to see. This, this passage in Acts 16 is about salvation and how God works and how he moves. And, and so I entitled the sermon, All of Grace, because salvation is all of grace. It's not because of me or because of you or anything good about me or you. It's about grace and how good God is and how good Jesus is. And we're going to see God calling out people and drawing them to himself. And it's really a beautiful thing what God does. Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher in London in the 1800s, he and Joseph Parker both had churches there in London. And on one occasion, Parker commented of the poor condition of the children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, the poor condition of the orphanage itself. And so Spurgeon, he didn't like that he had heard that about what Parker said. So when he got to the pulpit the next Sunday, he pretty much just blasted Joseph Parker. And so the attack was all in the newspapers about what Spurgeon had said. And so the next week, people went over to Joseph Parker's church because they wanted to hear a rebuttal from him. And here's what, here's what he said, Joseph Parker. He said, I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they use to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plate three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me, he said. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Have you ever experienced God's grace? Have you ever been given something you didn't deserve, whether it was from your parents or maybe a teacher or maybe a police officer when you were speeding and he, he let you go? That's happened to me before. Some of you say, no, never. <laughs> but a time that you weren't given what you deserve, but you were given what you needed. And in this passage today, we're going to see grace all over the pages. There were three people here who are graciously saved. They received salvation. We're really going to focus on just two of them, and we're going to take a hard look at these things in Acts chapter 16. We're going to talk about how they were saved, what God did in order to bring it about, and did they do anything to receive this salvation? And so I want you to see these three things this morning. I'm going to have three things I'll talk about, which all has to do with grace. By grace, God calls. By grace, people respond. And by grace, God saves. So we're going to look in verse 6. We're going to start at verse 6 there in 16. And you have to be reminded that this is Paul's second missionary journey He has already grabbed Silas to go with him because of a disagreement with Barnabas. So he takes Silas, and then later on we'll see at the beginning of 16, which I can't get to, he takes Timothy with him as well. But here we go in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mesia, they attempted to go and... into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mesia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over 
to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what do we see? This is the beginning, really, of the gospel call. This is the beginning of when people are saved. Because what does God do? He calls his people who already know him, and he calls them to a place, really, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. So this is his gracious, initiating work. It's all started by Jesus working in the hearts of people. So this is really just another way that Acts 1-8 uh, is playing itself out. This is, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus has ascended to the throne, the, the right hand of God, and he is ruling and he is reigning over the hearts of his people, and they, were go they are going out into the world to proclaim the gospel. And when they do this, people are going to be saved. So I want to assure you that God is still doing this. God is still calling out people. He's still calling you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people. And we have to be sensitive to his spirit to know where he, was, he is calling and where he's not calling. And so there's much here. I hope that you'll go home and that you'll read more about this and consider it. But Paul had to be really sensitive about where the spirit was calling him. Because it says a couple of times that the spirit of God did not let him go where he originally wanted to go. So the scriptures say that man makes his plans, but God is the one who determines his steps. So sometimes our plans don't necessarily match up to what God's plans are. I don't know if you've ever had like a, a check in your spirit that just said, I don't think I should go there, or I don't think God wants me to do this or that. Well, he still works in those ways, and he forbids people to go here, and he calls them to go somewhere else. And this is what's happening here. But wherever God is calling you, we need to be sensitive to it. You know, in in Romans 8, 14, Paul says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God or the, the children of God. So believe me, he will lead his people when we seek them. And sometimes we think, well, I don't know where God is calling me. I don't know what he wants me to do next because sometimes he's calling us just to share the gospel with our neighbor or a co-worker sometimes he's calling us to maybe do something in the church as in i want to go serve in this ministry or i want to start another ministry over there there's some people in another part of the community that i would like to minister to but many times it's just where he's planted you right now many times it's god just calling us to say hey be faithful where you are because sometimes I think we make God's calling a little bit too difficult. We say, Lord, where are you calling me? Where do you want me to go? And those are good things to be asking God. But if you feel like God is silent on these matters, keep praying to him. But in the meantime, be faithful where we are. Be faithful where you are. I mean, what would it look like for us if we just said, well, I'm going to invite some of my neighbors over and I'm going to cook for them. I'm going to put some hamburgers on the grill. We're just going to have a good time. We're going to just share what God is doing in our lives, and we're going to get to know these people. And when the Spirit provides opportunity, we, we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to see kind of where they are. Not because there are projects or anything like that, but because we love them, we really want to get to know them, and we want to see if they know our Savior. But he's called us, I think, to a specific place, and he's just calling us to be faithful, whether we're here or whether we're there, but we have to be sensitive to his call. 
But there's the gospel call through his people. If we look at verse 11, when we get to the conversion, we're going to see the conversion of three people, I believe. We're going to see the conversion of Lydia. We'll see the conversion of this slave girl who is possessed by a spirit of divination, which is really an evil spirit or a demonic spirit, someone who can tell the future by some demonic forces. But then you're going to see a jailer. He's going to be converted as well. And we're going to see how God does it. So in verse 11, it says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Smothertrace, or Smothertrace, Samotrace. I don't remember how to say it. I was trying to figure that out this week. I was like, when I preach this, I got to know how to say it. And then I failed. So good thing this is about grace. And the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is leading, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had, or to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So that's the first conversion. We see Lydia's eyes are opened up. She's basically going to a Bible study. This is a place where they would have prayer, and Lydia's a seeker. I think she's a seeker much like the Ethiopian eunuch or much like Cornelius. These are people who are seekers. They don't know who Jesus is, but they're trying to figure out who this God is. And so she's saved. Then after that, we're going to see when Paul and Silas, they're going to see this slave girl, and pretty much they cast a demon out of her, but they get in trouble for it because the people who own her see that because she doesn't have the spirit of divination anymore, that they're not going to be able to make money off of her anymore. And so they hate this, so they bring Paul before the council of the Romans, and they throw him into prison after they beat him. And so now they're in horrific circumstances by the time we get to verse 25. So I want you to, to know where they are. They've been placed in prison, terrible circumstances, been beaten. And here's what they're doing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open. He threw his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So let me, let me stop right there. So they're singing praises here. Like, what do they do in singing praises? I don't know. So I, I figure the, the jailer probably thinks they're crazy and all the people around because they're being beaten. They're singing these praises. They're being reminded of all that God has done for them. And I think this is 
to get them through this. When we sing, many times the message penetrates our hearts, which is why we still sing. This is why we have the Psalms. That's why we went through them during Lent, because that's the soundtrack of the Bible, and this allows those spiritual truths to get into our hearts when we sing. But they're singing, and there's a lot going on. The Spirit is moving and working, and this jailer is saved when he asks, what must I do? to receive eternal life. We'll talk more about him in a minute. But in this situation, in both of these, we see Lydia, she's being saved. And after she is saved, God continues to guide Paul and Silas by a series of events that puts them in position to share the gospel even with a jailer. So we can see God's providence all over this. He's calling them to Macedonia. He's calling them right to Philippi. And... There's this woman who needs to know more about Jesus. She's a seeker. She's saved. And then on the way, they cast out a demon. And then because of that, they're thrown in prison. And one thing leads to another, and this jailer, he's converted as well. So we're seeing God using people to proclaim the gospel so that they might believe, and he's doing it all by his providence. He's saving people by his grace. It's really cool because... We're really seeing what Jesus had already said that he's going to do in the Gospels. Remember, he says, I will build my church, he tells Peter, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So he is going to call people out unto himself. The cool thing about church is that God never called us to build his church because he, because Jesus already promised to build a church. What did he call us to do? He said, go and make disciples, and I will build my church, basically. I will be with you. I have all authority, and that's what they're doing here. Paul and Silas and Timothy, we can see them. They are so faithful, and God is just using faithful people to bring people to himself. So we have to be faithful, too. So we see God moving in the hearts. He's opened Lydia's hearts. He's opened her heart. He's using the scripture. He's using a messenger to awaken the heart of Lydia. Now, the jailer here, he would rather commit suicide than suffer his fate. Because did you know that if, if a Roman would have let go or would have lost these prisoners like he almost did, then he would have had to die. The Romans were brutal. The Romans were violent. They were vicious. How, how else do you think that they were conquering the whole known world at the time and ruled for so long? These people did it by force. They did it by killing people. They did it through crucifixion. And so this man, he knows if I let these guys go, if they're gone, then, I, then they're going to kill me. So he's going to turn on himself and kill himself. But then he asks, or then Paul says, no, don't do that. We're all here. And so I can imagine just this jailer thinking, why are you still here? So first of all, you were singing, and now you're going to stay when you, you could have gone? And so he's thinking, wow, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to have the joy that you have? And he gives him the simple answer, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved when we trust in Jesus Christ. And what does it mean to be saved? Saved from what? Well, we're saved from death, and we're saved from sin, and we're saved from hell. We're saved from separation from God for all of eternity. Because of sin, we are separated from God. And the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, and we come into his family through repentance and faith. We trust in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we're reconciled to him today and for all of eternity. 
this jailer, though, I mean, why, why would he want to be saved? Of course, he's already he's seen what's happening in, in the lives of Paul and Silas and how much joy they have in the midst of horrific circumstances. But think about maybe where this jailer was in his life. This jailer was, had probably been in this Roman army for his entire life. I think he was probably jaded by what he'd seen in life. I think he was probably calloused by all of the murder and the, the vicious things and horrific things that he had seen his entire life. And he was getting to the point where he, he really didn't mind torturing anybody. It, it didn't matter if he was going to do something terrible to Paul and Silas. It was just like any other day to him. It was like no big deal. It was a terrible life that he had. But what was he seeing now? He was seeing Paul and Silas in the midst of persecution and Paul and Silas not leaving when they were given the opportunity. So it's strange to this jailer and he sees them with the hope that he never ever dreamed of even having. So he asked, what must I do to be saved? What do I got to do to get what you have? So maybe there's people that have grown callous. Maybe you've grown callous. Maybe someone that you know has grown callous toward life because you've seen so much in your life. The way that you grew up was something that you're ashamed of. It made you callous to the world. It made you think that nothing good could ever come out of anything and you just kind of walk around and you're like, eh. And I think this was kind of where this man was. His heart was hard. Nothing really mattered. This leaves people hopeless. I know there's people who serve in these types of capacities, maybe our soldiers who come back from overseas, maybe police officers, maybe firemen who have seen so much, first responders, and maybe you've seen stuff that you really wish you hadn't seen and you've been kind of jaded and you think, well, if there is a God, he can't possibly be loving. But then, but what happens here? I want to assure you that Jesus stands ready to save even those whose hearts are calloused over and you're just jaded with life. Jesus stands there and he says, here I am to save you. You can have joy even in the midst of everything that you've been through in life. I've, I'm here to offer joy to you. And he saves people in that way as well. Amazing really what he does with the jailer. But we have to believe in him. This is the way God has acted all throughout human history. He provokes the heart of people through different means. The scriptures, circumstances, preachers, whatever it may be. He's going to use everything that he can use to provoke you, to open your eyes so that you will see clearly the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he wants to save you. What is your story of God saving you? Mine is similar to Lydia's story. See, Lydia, she was really a churchgoer. She didn't know Jesus, but she was a churchgoer. They, they had the Old Testament scriptures back then, so I'm sure she, if she was able to, it, it seems like Lydia was probably someone who was pretty rich. She was a seller of purple goods. This was something that um, she made and she sold, and so she's probably a successful businesswoman, and she's trying to know more about God, but she's not saved. So mine's similar to Lydia in, in some aspects, as in I grew up in church my entire life, but it wasn't really until I was 20 years old, maybe 19 or 20 years old, that the grace of God really clicked with me. And I believe I was, I was saved when I was a kid, but really I didn't understand the grace of God, and, and I didn't really allow that to impact my life in the way that it should have. 
I remember living the Christian life as if I was more of a servant than I was a son of the Most High God. I mean, have you ever been to a mandatory meeting at work? Like, you know why they make those mandatory, right? Because no one's going to come if they don't because it's boring. Nobody, you know, it's, it's, I've heard of mandatory meetings, and I just want to be like, if you want to make this mandatory, then make it interesting so people will want to come, and then you won't have to make it mandatory anymore. Mandatory meetings, they're so great. <laughs> So you go to these meetings, not because you want to go, but because at, if you don't go, at the least, you're going to get in trouble from your boss, and, and maybe at the worst, you might get fired, so you go. You need your job, you need money, you like to eat, so you go. And so that was kind of what my relationship with God was like. I wanted to serve God. I loved him. I knew he died on the cross for my sins, but I was still doing Christianity like I had to appease him, like Jesus died on the cross that got me halfway there, and then my works will get me the other, the other half. That's the way I was living my life. The only reason I went to church was because I looked at it as mandatory. I didn't want to get in trouble with God. But Jesus opened my eyes through his word, through his people, through circumstances, and I realized his grace and how much he loved me and how I'm able to serve him freely through his grace. Now I want to know him and be with him because I see him as a father, a loving father, as someone who's my daddy, someone who I want to be with. So we all want to crawl up into the laps of our dad when we're kids. We all want to be with him. We're like, man, dad, I just want to be with my dad. I remember Jace. He's still that way today. When he was a little boy, he just wanted to be with daddy. And maybe you never had that, that type of dad or father. But you know what? God is that is that one. He is there and he's saying, just come to me. He's saying, you don't have to work. This is not you. You don't need to have the faith of a servant, but come in and have the faith of a son. Have the faith of a daughter. Come to me. Come to my lap. Sit with me. Sit at my feet. I want to be with you. I love you. And then from that, we, we serve. And I wonder, do you have that relationship, that kind of relationship with God today? Because I, I, that was me. And I was like, man, I get it. I get it now. He, he really loves me. He really sent Jesus to die for me, for my sins. And I think this was Lydia. Oh, I get it now. All that I've been reading really points to Jesus Christ and his grace. I hope you know his grace. I hope you know his grace. There's so many people all throughout history history here, not just Lydia, not just the jailer, but there's so many people in Christian history, people like John Wesley who experienced the same thing. This man was basically a legalist. He, he went to the New World. He went to Georgia to try to convert the Indians. He was really puffed up about it. He thought that he could just go in there and they would hear his preaching and then they would just come in droves to give their lives to Christ. But it was largely a failure when he went to Georgia. But you know what? When he got back, on May 24, 1738, it says he went very unwillingly. His journal says he went very unwillingly to a, a religious meet, a meeting in London, and a miracle took place. About a quarter before nine, he wrote in his journal, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me 
from the law of sin and death. So it was at this moment he got it. He's like, look, I, I can't earn my salvation. I, I've got to give it all over to him. He actually loves me. And it was out of that that just sprung a revival. When people experience grace, they show grace to others. And grace is contagious. And people come in and they come in and they begin serving the one true God of the universe because they love him so much. Like, man, I, I just love this God. I hope you love this God. And he's still opening hearts of people to pay attention to what is being said to him. But they need a messenger too. They need you. Because remember what Romans 10, 14 through 17, Paul writes, how will, how will they call on whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in something they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Then it says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So is God opening your ear and your eyes through listening to the scriptures today, I hope you can hear his voice. And just as Lydia did, just as the jailer did, you are being called to respond. See, we're, God does not only call by grace, but people respond as well by his grace. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Simply trust that he will save you, just like you trusted the pew when you sat down. You took the weight off of your legs and you sat down in that pew and you said, I'm going to trust this pew to hold me up. You may not even known that, but that's what you did. And so that's what Jesus is calling us to do with him. Believe. Put your trust in him. Put your full weight on him. Trust him with your life. Stop trusting in yourself. Stop trusting in other things you may be going after, but put your trust in him and come to him and he will never cast you out. He will never leave you unsatisfied. And then God saves. God saves. I hope you know that. God calls by his grace, and by his grace we respond, but by his grace God saved. Paul and Silas didn't save Lydia. They didn't save the jailer. They were simply faithful to share the gospel, and God saved them. And so I hope this takes pressure off of all of God's messengers that it doesn't depend on your perfect presentation, but it depends on the Spirit of God working through faithful people. So stand and, and share how God has saved you. Share the gospel with people and God will save. And if you're anxious, the scriptures say, cast all your anxiety upon him. He cares for you. And to humble yourselves and know that it's not you working, but it is God working through you and in the hearts of people. And God saves. He saves so freely. We put, our, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Beautiful thing, what he does. And we have to know that faith didn't merit salvation. Faith is the condition for salvation, but faith doesn't merit salvation. It's not as if God owes us salvation even when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He still graciously gives us salvation. He still graciously provides salvation to all those who come to him in faith. So if we consider the prodigal son story, I think it illustrates it very beautifully and greatly. The son came back to the father after he had squandered all of the wealth and basically spit in the face of the father, and the prodigal son comes back. The, the father wasn't obligated to take him back, but he welcomed him home because he was gracious. 
So when we come to Jesus, he's not obligated to save us. He saves us because he's gracious and he's promised to do so. So it's all of grace. It's all of grace. And the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he is faithful and he is gracious to save. And he's still providing grace for all people in all places today. He's enabling people to believe in him by his grace. It's not, a, it's not a faith that you conjure up on your own. He's enabling you to believe. He's providing the choice for you to believe in Jesus Christ. And when we do, it's all of grace when we trust in him. I hope you'll believe today. I don't know exactly where you are. I, I don't know if, if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus Christ. He is calling you to himself. So be ready. He, he wants to save. And, and if maybe you're here and you, whatever you're dealing with, maybe, maybe there's some backsliding going on, maybe there's some doubts, God is still calling us, put your faith in me. Trust in me. I, I've got you. I want you to put your trust in me every single day. He is faithful and he is gracious to save and continue to save and continue to walk with you. We're going to come to communion this morning, remembering his grace, remembering how good he is. And that's the only way we're able to come to the table. That's the only way we're able to receive communion. And we see this through his blood shed for us. Jesus' blood shed for us on our behalf. His body broken for us. And so we come to him and we confess our sins to him. Not because he wants us to feel condemnation, because Romans 8 once says the opposite of that. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what is this for? This is for confession and repentance, because repentance basically means become what God has called you to be. You're settling for much less than God is calling you to settle for, which is him. And it also means that God's not finished with you yet when we confess and repent. He's not finished with any of us. So I'm going to read this first part in the bulletin from the liturgy. It says, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. So let's read the confession and pardon together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous to us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life to the honor and glory of thy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.